Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of 2020 of Debatable with your hosts Nina and Kyle. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. Today we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. So as you are probably aware, New Year's resolutions are a thing every <laughs> year. Um, and a lot of the times debaters have their own resolutions for a particular year. Like this year I'm gonna break. This year I'm definitely gonna win. This year I'm gonna be better debate. I'm better debater. This year I'm going to do X, Y, Z, etc. So for this episode, we wanted to contribute to sort of like the formation of some New Year's resolutions. Um, so we're not imposing these resolutions on you. Of course. It's just going to be things that we hope people remember more often this year. Yeah, and things that we'd probably keep for ourselves as well because I, I think I'm slightly still active. Kyle wants to be a bit more active this year. Yeah. So these are good things that we can all keep in mind. So the reason why we're, we're saying New Year's resolutions here is because they're, they are our personal New Year's resolutions. Yep. Um, so if ever we're going to debate, we want to take note of these things as well. Yes. Alright, so we cut this into like three parts. The first would be like debate pet peeves that we want everyone to be aware about and we want to prevent ourselves from committing. So the use of terms and basically just the use of terms for this yeah. one. Second is like in in debate decorum and in debate like mindsets, like what we do in the round. And like third would be like the attitude that we want for this year. So for usage of terms, we want to emphasize that misusing some terms does not mean it's the end of the world. Like not using some terms properly is not the reason for a team to lose. This section is so that people can be put on the same page as to what certain terms mean. Yeah, yeah so debate jargon is like one of the barriers to entry that some people have pointed out. Yeah, and, and the reality is you don't need to use debate jargon, right? Yes. We, we've had a bunch of people asking us questions like, what, what do these terms mean? What We were like, yeah, we should probably make an episode talking about these new terms. So I, I want to I wanna be the one to talk about the first word uh, and term because I have a lot of feelings about this one. Yeah. So it's the misuse of the word house. So I've heard so many times while I'm judging, like the four houses of the round, like the opening house, the closing house. So no, the, the house is just the entire debate room. One debate room is a house because it's patterned after the British Parliament House of Commons where everyone meets up to debate each other. And it's one house because they're under this one house and they're all like debating this thing, yeah. right? So there are no four houses, it's just one house. Yeah, so it's not like Harry Potter. It's like we're all in the same house. It would be better if instead of God Government house, yeah. say government bench. Yes. So in the House of Commons, there are two benches, like the government bench and the opposition bench. The government bench are the incumbents, and the opposition are like people from the party that lost the previous election. So they're called the opposition. So if you want to call out uh, a bench, you say that. If you want to call out a particular team, do not call them opening bench or OG bench. Just call them OG team <laughs> yeah. or closing government team, right? So you can say the closing half of the house. So yes. the open air closing halves of the house. There's only one There's house. There's only one house. Yeah. If if ever you say houses, you're involving the other debate rooms. That's yeah. not a thing. All right. Second term is the word status quo. Oh, um, this is one of my pet peeves <laughs> because. I know, pet peeve kasi siya ng coaches ko before. So, status quo is basically like the state of affairs right now. So, what is happening right now? It is a Latin term which means the state in which. So, we're supposed to talk about the present state. The reason why I'm bringing this up is it would be redundant to say in the current status quo or status quo right now or status quo today or even worse, in the current status quo right now today. And all of these things I've heard in different debate rounds. And I, I was also guilty of some of them before. Like, in the, because you're just saying status quo 
over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Like in, in the status quo, in status quo, in status quo today, in status quo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you'll be aware of that. Um, We're not shaming people who use it, but you, you, you spend a lot of time saying the same words over and over again. So you can just cut down on that, just say status quo once. Or if you don't know how to use status quo Let's properly, just, not use just it. don't <laughs> use it. That's fine. No one's like, forcing you. What's happening right now? <laughs> yes. Okay, the third term, uh, Kyle and I had a little spat about it because we disagreed. And it, it, it just shows how complicated this word is. It's this new word every debater's been using. Counterfactual. Which <laughs> people don't properly understand. And like, we don't we don't blame you if you don't really understand counterfactual. Yeah. Because I can barely understand it myself. So, so counterfactual, in its plainest form, means um, what isn't. So, what didn't happen, but what could have happened. That means... In, in some motions, a counterfactual is just opposite of the facts that we have today. So, for example, Kyle is a male. The counterfactual of that would be Kyle being a female, right? It could have happened, but it didn't happen. So when you evaluate counterfactuals, you're evaluating a world that could have been, right? And, and the misconception here is that counterfactuals just mean alternatives, but it's not always the case. Because it has to be an alternative to the status quo. So yeah. if you don't understand, it's not the same as a converse burden, so which is uh, another thing. A counterfactual, right, is um, usually you the, the proper usage of that is in regrets, regrets motions. motions. So this house regrets X. So essentially, what this means is we want to regret a world where X exists or where X happened. So the counterfactual would be a world where X didn't happen. Okay, so a world without religion, right? This yes. house regrets a world with religion. So status quo is a world with religion religion, a counterfactual would be a world without religion. This yeah. means both teams will have to talk about the counterfactual or the like non-existent world, the hypothetical world that like the debate is about. So government will make arguments about why the counterfactual, aka the world without religion, is such a good thing. But yeah. opposition will also talk about the counterfactual. But in a negative light, they'll talk about why a world without religion would be a bad thing. But yeah, both so, teams are talking about the counterfactual. Yeah, so it's different from what was known as the converse burden because a lot of people think that the counterfactual is just another restate of the converse burden because the converse ver- burden was um, equally highfalutin like no one understands what it means either True. so in, in my in my point of view like the, the difference between a counterfactual and the converse burden is while a counterfactual could be used to fulfill the converse burden it's not always the case because for me the converse burden is to talk about the converse of what you're currently saying or what the other team is saying so right a counterfactual is in, in a world where this did not happen mm. a converse burden would be if you're talking about the hypothetical world already, the converse burden would be to respond to the factual. Do you get it? So if the motion is a policy debate, for example, so it's not a regrets debate, I'm going to talk about this policy and why this policy is beneficial. The converse burden would be to talk about why in a world without the policy, mm-hmm. this would happen, this wouldn't happen, etc. So that, technically speaking, is not a counterfactual because the policy that you're talking about is not a factual. <laughs> Again, right? These are all confusing. If you don't get it, just, just don't. don't use, use it. it. It's fine. It. That can be a resolution to reduce the fluff in your speeches, to reduce the jargon you don't understand. There's this weird unspoken rule in debate that you have to speak the language. You don't. Debate your own way. If one of your resolutions could be just simplify your language. Yeah, right? kiss, man. Kiss. Kiss. Keep, Keep it, it sim- super simple. Oh, there, there. there. Okay, we're kid-friendly here in this podcast. So, so right. last is uh, mutually exclusive. If it's usually exclusive, it cannot occur in the other world, in, in the other team's version of reality. It would be mutually exclusive if it was exclusive just to your side and it can't be co-opted by the other team. If someone says that it is mutually exclusive to both sides, what you're really saying, what that person is really saying is that it's not mutually exclusive because it can be claimed by both sides. So be careful how you use mutually exclusive. That's basically it. It's just one way
way of saying it's it's only our side that has this. If you want to use just that term, you our side say, has this. You can you can say this exclusive to our side, and people will go like, yeah, yeah. People will understand it the same. So that's our pet peeve terminologies. That's the the ones we wanted to clarify, and hopefully you decide for yourselves whether you want to use it or not use it at all. The second would be like things we want to improve on and actually fix this year in terms of our debating. Yeah. So the first one has to do with burdens. So we we want people to take note of their burdens, and you want to take note of our burdens mm-hmm. as well. So when when we talk about burdens, basically it is what needs to be proven in order to win the debate. Because a lot of people seem to think that a burden is just something that you need to prove, but it has to be more specific than that. It has to be something that needs to be proven in order to win the debate. So the most common usage of this for newbies is the burden of proof, and that happens for government side that they have the burden of proof to show why this policy leads to this benefit. But that's that necessarily means that their burden is to prove why these benefits are likely to occur. So in order to win the debate, they have to prove that likelihood. Yes. Um. So that's the meaning of burden. What needs to be proven in order to win the debate? So how do you um prove those things? How do you fulfill the burden? And this is where you want to talk about standards. So standards, on the other hand, are what need to be proven in order to win a point of contention or to fulfill a burden. So um, if the motion is um this house regrets X or this house regrets religion, organized religion, for example, um the sta- the burden is to show why the world with organized religion is worse than a world than the counterfactual, right? But the standard is how do you show that the world like uh, how do you show that it should be regretted? So how do we evaluate the thing? So ito yung um this house would ban. The standard is when do we ban something? Um or this house regrets. The standard would be when do we regret something? Yeah. When do we celebrate something? When do we um introduce a policy? In yeah, and, and usually standards are subjective. Like they they change per round, but you need to have them. Um, there's no universal like checklist of standards to determine whether you win or lose. Right. Yeah. The next one is framing, and and we've had a lot of questions about what framing meant. A frame is basically a mode of interpretation, like this how you interpret like the world around you. So the the most common example that was given to us was like there's a photo of a tank, and you're like, what does this photo mean? Oh, there's war, there's war, and then there's another photo shown to us about like kids playing, and like, what does this mean? Oh, it means peace. Those two are just parts of the same big picture. So framing is like showing specific parts of the big picture, interpreting it in such a way that would be beneficial to your case. Frame is just a strategic way to limit the the picture into making it seem seem beneficial to your side or seem disadvantageous to the other. One of my examples in the election, one of the election episodes that you ran before, I was talking about the image of the Duterte administration. I was saying that like as a whole, it seems to be very strong, but if you look at into the, if you look into the specifics, it, like you have a lot of conflicts there. Yeah, if you reframe it. Yeah, so the, if you frame if you want to frame that the government is strong, you look at the big picture, the big machine. It, it's still working, but if you want to show that there are kinks in the system that like for example the opposition can exploit in order to like get control of the government again you can frame it in such a way that instead of looking at the big machine you look at the individual parts of the machine that are broken yeah so that's framing um the third thing that in debates i feel like everyone can improve is middle analysis like my gosh i hate the term but it, it's useful and it just means like the the middle parts of your argument so if you have a premise and you have a conclusion you need to have the middle parts which explain how why or what they usually explain how you get from point a to point c a lot of people just make the jump but because we make this work 
world without religion, suddenly everyone will be nicer to each other. But you have to explain why that happens, how that happens, and who exactly initiates that kindness, right? Yeah. So when people do this, because when when they argue, it's if A therefore B, if B therefore, therefore C, C, and I just prove that A B then C. But like the they neglect to explain why if A therefore B yeah. and why if B therefore C. So for example, if the argument is like strategic allocation of resources, and I would say that this policy is not strategic allocation of resources because it leads to more poverty. And I would say um, the, the the first premise is that if we use funds here, we will lose funds somewhere else. The second premise is that if we use funds somewhere else. People will get poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Therefore, people will be poor. But like, just we have to explain why people will be poor if those funds are not allocated in this particular way. So, um, the main advice that was given to me when I was younger was that you always have to ask yourself three questions. You always have to ask: How will this happen? Why is this likely to happen? And so what if it happens? Yep. So these three questions: How, why, so what? And you have to keep asking yourself that again, and again. So you go like: Why does this happen? And, and you would say: Oh, this happens because people have this mindset. And then why do people have this mindset? Oh, people have this mindset because this context. And then like. You have to ask oh so how will this happen blah 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 and then at the very end you have to ask yourself like so what if this happens and this is where you conclude it and say oh this is important because blah 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 alternatively you can just um explain it in such a way that it becomes a cartoon in your head like if you read it in a book or something a cartoon would appear in your head about like how it happens yeah. and this was a piece of advice that was given to me by my friend Edbert uh, who he got from one of his albums um in Ateneo and then I was like yeah and ever since then I was like no oh, you should explain it in such a way that hmm. it like you form a cartoon in your head and then I met Nina who apparently can't imagine anything hey yeah I can't imagine things at all so that 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 that, that advice won't won't work for me. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I think a better alternative would be to explain it in such a way that even a child would be able to understand yeah. how the thing works. Yeah, that's that's my advice to every debater yeah. I watch. So middle analysis, just make sure that like even children who go like why 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 how how why why th- those kinds of kiddie games like you think that they're annoying but they're they're actually training you to be better debaters. Wow. Like, <laughs> think your think your child relatives. Yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, the last part of this section is nuance. Again, this is also another term people misuse a lot. It just means subtle differences. So, for example, nuancing arguments is something we feel like all debaters should work on and even ourselves because it's so easy to have default arguments, right? If you've seen this motion before, you know what kind of arguments to run. You yeah. can run what we call cookie cutter or canned arguments. For example, like the black market argument or yeah, or the strategic allocation of resources argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> the arguments that we've been throwing around at random or things you've probably run before. But to nuance them, you have to make them specific to the motion, which means you need to talk about how it applies to the motion. You have to illustrate how exactly it will take place with this motion. Nuancing just means it's not in to have an argument you have to show how this argument works exactly with this motion exactly with, yeah. with these actors so my, my test would be if I look at my notes or if I isolate that part of my speech if I could imagine this argument in any other motion then that means it's not nuanced not enough, nuanced enough yeah. you need to be able to know what the motion is based on the argument alone and that's what I think makes for good nuanced arguments yeah as an aside like what does it mean when you say a cookie cutter or a canned argument uh, <laughs> essentially it means like it's a it's generic argument like you can use that exact same argument in many different debates and I'm sure that a lot of people will eventually tell you that if you look at enough debate rounds, you will eventually see that there's a common theme running through multiple debate rounds. Yeah. And yeah. people distill that into this generic argument like you know, strategic allocation of resources, black market, rights are not absolute, etc. And those are what we call canned arguments yeah. or cookie cutter. We, we've given you some, actually. In episode 2, the one about social movements, yeah. we introduce a lot of canned arguments that you can use for other social movements. So the, the reason why they're called canned is like if you have canned goods, if you open the can, there, you get 
your tuna, you get your corned beef, and yeah, it's but, always the same all the time. But we're telling you cook them, you know, like in, yeah. innovate. <laughs> yeah, so no one should be like getting the potatoes, cutting them, putting them into the corned yeah, beef, yeah. or like dressing them up. So so like it's it's an episode of Master Chef, and that's the mystery box. And they did actually do that. And, canned and, goods. Yeah, canned mm, goods. That's the mystery watch. box. So last, let's talk about the attitudes that we. Yes. We yeah. Twenty twenty is the year where we become good and better debaters all together. I feel like this community actually like the Philippine debate community is transitioning to becoming a lot more friendly a lot more accommodating a lot more helpful with each other which is great and I feel like we should keep that trend up before when I entered debate it was a, a little bit I wouldn't I don't want to use the word toxic but it was very competitive like it was it was very like tiring competitive people would yeah. gossip all the time people would use all people means people still gossip all I, the time we still gossip but like in a fun way now people used to actively antagonize the other black propagandas were probably there underground but now it's just like happy open people make kalat it's yeah. another story but the kalat no, but that, that, usually, that means that like the kalat is because people interact more in yeah. more positive ways and they, they trust each other with the kalat more which is good yes. but let's continue that trend um, the first attitude we'd want to change or, or sort of like introduce would be like don't make faces in rounds I think that's the simplest way to be I'm a kind sorry. of person <laughs> I, I, I do that as well I make faces in rounds I I, I look confused I, I actively look disgusted and I feel like that, that, that discourages new debaters I feel like it scares them especially if you see like a veteran making ugly faces at your speech you'd, you'd feel very demoralized or newer debaters and their and their reactions are just very exaggerated yeah like they, they, they go <laughs> like that <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> it, is, it is a simple argument like, yeah. why are you making these reactions yeah so um, so faces I guess if there is a like non-demoralizing reason why you make those faces I guess it'll be fine if you're really like disappointed or actively offended like an equity violation was committed like go ahead I think it's fine yeah, it's fine yeah. but like if you're, you're just doing that to give yourself an advantage maybe tone it down maybe don't do it I don't think it really changes anything I think judges are smart enough to be able to spot flaws on their own on their own if you don't trust them then I think that's another attitude you should change you should trust yeah. your judges more which don't... leads us to the next one which yeah. is like trust judges more yes because <laughs> I, after tournaments I don't go to like for example NDC 2019 mm-hmm. I check out the tabs if you give feedback to a particular judge it's not just it's not anonymous like before it used to be very anonymous but now like judges can refer back to these to the feedback even after the tournament because Tabber saves it so if you're just excessively mean to yeah. a judge everyone will, like, everyone will see it so if you're going to like complain or whatever or make some comments make sure that those comments are substantial yeah and, like just they have to be know. productive they have to help the person is it really feedback or just your rants, rants? Yeah, Tabber is not there to help you with your rants if you want to rant do it to your instimates do it with your teammate um, just don't actively try to like make someone would quit debating. Um, so I was in charge of equity in um, NDC 2019. So I was part of Agicor. And there was so much like going on because people were just making each other cry in a way. Like I've had reports of people like saying mean things to their judges, um, telling them they should quit, etc. And I feel like that's an attitude you have to let go. You started out really bad. Yeah. Right? No so, one told you to quit and that's why you're still here. Don't, do not make someone quit just because you had a bad round. Yeah. So if you want to give feedback to a judge, don't be tactless about it. Do it in a kind of respectful way. I wouldn't say that it necessarily has to be non-confrontational because sometimes confrontation could be productive. Mm-hmm. I would say that it has to be productive though. If it's not productive, or if it becomes circular, then what's the point, yeah. right? If you can't rebut it or you won't let yourself be rebutted. So I, I still think that there's value, for example, in going up to the judge and sort of asking questions about the decision. But it has to be in a way that helps you understand. Helps you thing. understand it better, or helps them, or helps them. Yeah. But if it's if it's just like you should you should change it or whatever, or like you were wrong, I I, I don't think that that's productive at the end. Yeah. yeah. And besides, you can't change the decision already, right? So what you can do is help things moving forward, which yeah. leads to another attitude we want to change. Is we feel like everyone. 
one should be more willing to ask for help. For example, we do ask personal comments from our judges, but we feel like judges should also make it a habit to ask their debaters how they did. So yeah. this was an attitude we started encouraging in NDC. Like we actively made it a policy also that after the round, personal comments should go both ways. So after the round's done, debaters ask the judge how they did. Judges can ask like what they can improve. Judges can also talk to their panel like how they did. Did they like the oral adjudication, etc. And I feel like overall we should be a lot more willing to help each other. Yeah. I think this podcast is our way of giving back and helping people. And I think that that attitude should spread all around. Um, if you want to make your own sort of like debate materials to help other people, go do that. No one's stopping you. It's gonna be very welcome. We'll even advertise it in the the podcast, right? Yeah. So, so I remember because that there was a time when judges asking for comments about how they did was frowned upon. Ooh. Like there was a stigma against it. Like like how can I trust your judgment or your calls if you don't if you have to ask for comments from debaters about how you did as a judge? I don't think like like we don't expect judges to be infallible. So like it's not their job to pretend to be infallible all the time. I don't. I I never understood why. Just because we're a judge, it automatically precludes like them from wanting to get better, asking debaters for like how they did, like feedback, their feedback. Yeah. So we have a lot of feelings about judging and judges. So we'll leave that for another episode. Yeah. It's just a little preview of our feelings yeah. for twenty twenty. Also, also, when we talk about asking for help, it's not just judges. It's also like debaters. Like debaters can ask their alums or other or their other institution mates. Like how how would you build these things? How yeah. would you make these arguments? And you'd be surprised to know that lots of people just like are willing to help. Like if you're afraid of your alums, for example. And like I was, I was really afraid of my albums. Same. Yeah. Um. I ended up realizing that they're really willing to help no man. So yeah, they did want to. And they, they really want to. And you might even build better relationships with your alums if you reach out to them more and ask for help because they'll feel involved and you'll feel like you you got a lot of help. Yeah. If you want to ask them for team ups, like you should you shouldn't be afraid to do yes, that. Yes. Well. We are gonna be shameless this year, but in a good and productive way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. Last last night, you let's matter load better. Mm. So before we talked about making like a schedule, like you matter load these times whatever. When we talk about matter loading better we mean like sticking to your schedule man like stick to your schedule like trust the process like if you don't trust that you're covering everything that you need to cover seguro expand the coverage but stick to the schedule anyway the goal is to make sure that matter loading becomes second nature because we noticed that a bunch of people just cram matter loading all the time yeah <laughs> don't do that you won't retain anything so i, I guess that's it that's for... it um obviously <laughs> there's a lot of things that we can still teach you and help you with but we still have a lot of episodes to go and hopefully we'll see you there bye bye